What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on my main platform being Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, YouTube at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, even TikTok at Deep Dive FF. And as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. With that being said, let's get into the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into a very, very random podcast episode of Deep Dive Fantasy Football. I am here with an awesome guest. You guys may have heard him before, depending on how long you've been listening to the podcast. It's Sia Najad. Sia works with Win Daily Sports. He's on the CBS Daily Fantasy team now. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, CBS Fantasy Football Today DFS. Yeah, so he's he's doing a, he's doing a lot of things. He's somebody you should definitely be following on Twitter. I follow him. Me and him talk all the time. So he's somebody who's going to give a lot of insight today on today's podcast. We're going to go over some bets that we've got going into week 1. See, I always look at week 1 and I always think it's one of the best weeks and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. One of the best weeks to place bets. Because there's not too much information yet, and Vegas is not, you know, they don't have all this info to make super solid lines. So I feel like there's some easy ones in week one. I'm curious what you think about that. I agree with you. I think both both from a DFS standpoint and from a betting standpoint, you have, or I should say the sports books, and really everybody has less information than they will have after week one, after week two, and so on. So I think it's a really good time to really sort of take advantage of the market, the unknowns of the market. And if you're engrossed in this industry, like Brandon, I know you are, you're going to see things with these lines that don't really make sense to you. And obviously those are the lines to hit. And it's the same with DFS. You're going to see some things with pricing that, you know, because pricing in DraftKings, for example, came out super early. So there's so many inefficiencies with that for a variety of reasons, including, you know, injuries and and depth charts and things like that kind of switching up. So it's a really good time to jump into both venues. Yeah, for sure. I absolutely agree. Also, I said your name. I realized a lot of people might not know how to spell it. So Sia Najad, it's S-I-A-N-E-J-A-D. You can find him. That's his Twitter handle. So you can find him on Twitter there. And before we get into it, is there anything specific that you wanted to shout out or, or talk about? I want to give you the platform to do so. I mean, you kind of said it. So I'll, I'll tell you this. You know, you, you can find me, WindailySports.com, which is at WindailySports on Twitter. We do, and I'm a very small part of it uh, because we have so many guys. We do a lot of stuff uh, on Twitter, but also at WindailySports.com from modeling to projections to prop bets, um, picks, you name it. Uh, we, we have kind of uh, we've partnered with the Sharp app, which is uh, which does a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about today. A lot of picks and things of that nature, and of course CBS. You can find me on um, Fantasy Football Today DFS. I do some golf work with them too on the first cut. And for those DFS players, I'll tell you this: you know, Win Daily Sports has a show on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Saturday and Sunday night. So for those of you that are kind of setting your minute, your lineups last minute, your DFS lineups. You can catch us on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio starting at 11 o'clock, and we'll be talking DFS the entire football season for all two hours. So that's something to consider as well. Yeah, that's awesome. That's perfect timing. A lot of people are upsetting their lineups before they go to sleep so they don't miss anything. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's actually awesome. So with all of that said, I got one more question for you, and then we'll get into the bets. Are you playing in any survivor pools or anything like that this year? 
I normally have a couple that I'm in. Um, this this year, I've had to scale it back because I, I have so many. Um, Brandon, as each year goes by, I feel like I have more responsibilities in this Absolutely. in this world that Same. we're both in. I'm yeah. I'm not even talking like family. I'm talking like specifically inside this DFS and in betting world, and and they're they're great responsibilities. I I will say this though. I am in a Survivor League, but I partnered with somebody this year in just one Survivor as opposed to having a couple on my own. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I've never done the Survivors with like league mates. I've always just done that one huge one. I think we might have talked about it before where you basically pick the one team every every week and it's just last man standing out of like 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm excited to do that again. I don't know why they keep dropping the prize fund. It was a million three years ago. Last year it was 100000 This year it's only 30000 prize pool. So I don't know why they keep doing that. But I'm still going to do it anyways because it's free and it's fun. But mm-hmm. let's get into it. What is a bet that a betting line that stands out to you that you think you absolutely people should take advantage of and hammer this week going into week one? So the first one is is a little interesting because the line has already moved two and a half points. And I don't like that because because now and I'll tell you what the game is in a second, because, you know, now, you know, you're having to pay like, like the line is, is not nearly as advantageous. But when a line moves that much, you're kind of late to the game and you don't necessarily want to jump on it. But in this case, the Broncos at the Giants, it, it started as pick them. It's now minus two and a half. Um, it'll probably get up to three, to be honest with you. But I see it at minus two and a half now. I just don't like where the Giants are at. And by the way, I would have told you that two months ago. The moment they drafted Kadarius Toney, I would have said, you know, and, and I know I know you like him, Brandon. Yeah, but I, I agree that was a reach but and a bad pick. It, it, well, it, here's the thing. It's not a reach because Kadarius Toney is bad. It's a reach because that's not what they needed after spending Absolutely. so much for Kenny Galladay. Absolutely. Having Sterling Shepard, who's underrated, um, they, they've got some other guys on the outside that are in their second year that, that are solid or at least have the potential to be solid. They really needed to beef up that offensive line. We know from the preseason the offensive line is a mess. Daniel Jones does not look good. Saquon Barkley is probably going to suit up week one, but he's probably going to be on a pitch count, and, and I don't know that he's going to have as much of an impact that game as people think. So alternatively, you got the Broncos who have a good defense, plenty of weapons on the outside, a steady quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. I just think when the Broncos show up, I, I think they're going to be like, this is this is our chance to start the season well. This is a good team. They're well-coached. They, they've got Melvin and Javante in the backfield. Honestly, it's an embarrassment of riches on offense with Noah Fant as well. So I just, even if this gets up to three, I think the Broncos win this one by comfortably four to seven to ten. Yeah, I, I like how you said embarrassment of riches because I absolutely agree with that. And it drove me crazy and I'm still dumbfounded about the fact that they did not take a quarterback in this amazing class. That was the only thing I thought the Broncos were missing. Their defense is getting guys back healthy. Bradley Chubb, Von Miller still got some juice in the tank, right? So they, they have so much there that I really thought they could have been a Super Super Bowl contender in a year or two if they grabbed a quarterback. But I agree with you. I do think they win that game. But I have a slight concern about the fact that Teddy Bridgewater is the new person and he's going to be the one running the entire offense. Now, I'm going to bet on Teddy Bridgewater over Daniel Jones. So I definitely think the Broncos do win. But I got to say, I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants are able to pull something out because I think that it's going to be a really low-scoring game. So I know this is probably not one of the bets that you brought up, but just looking at the over-under, it's at 42, at least what I'm looking at on Bleacher Report and everything they're showing is 42, and it opened at 42.5, so pretty much the same. I 
I actually would take the under. I feel like this game is going to be ugly. And I think that is the one thing that scares me the most is when you have a super low-scoring game and there's two good defenses, it's possible that the underdog can pull it out. Totally agree with with your point on on low totals, and that's why you know taking this line from Pickham to two and a half, and it might it might kick up to three. In fact, I think it's likely that it'll it'll kick up to three before kickoff. But I still like it. I, I just I think the I mean the Broncos we've seen over the last couple of years, even they've lost a lot of close games. This is just such a perfect setup for them to play a team that they feel like they can walk onto that field and know that they're going to get a win. And I really feel like I, I don't love Teddy Bridgewater as a quarterback, but the the problem with Locke is that there's such an unknown with turnovers Absolutely. and that kind of thing. You don't have that unknown with Bridgewater. So, yeah, he's not going to pour it down the field to, to Cortland Sutton necessarily like Locke would have, but he's just going to be very smart with the ball. And I think to beat a Giants team that's probably, in my opinion, one of the four worst teams in the NFL, I think that's all you need to do. Yeah, that's for sure. And and honestly, for fantasy purposes too, and that's why I didn't mind the move for fantasy purposes to Teddy Bridgewater is because it makes the offense a lot easier to project week to week. They're probably going to be a lot more consistent. And like for people that have drafted Jerry Judy and the running backs as well, I think it's going to be much easier for them because Judy's going to get a steady flow of targets and the running backs are going to get plenty of dump offs instead of Drew Locke just heaving it downfield all the time. So yeah. that's the first bet. I would give input on my bets. People listening may be saying, Brandon, where are yours? Well, I actually have mine coming up in... Let's see, this is going to release Monday night. So I have mine coming up Wednesday morning. So hopefully they're not too outdated. I mean, you would know more than me about how often and how quickly lines move. So I do have some some picks there. They might be a tiny bit different, but I try to pick ones I'd be confident in with like a good plus minus, kind of how you were saying, because um, you said, you know, this was even first. So anyways... I'm giving you the floor. Keep going. We'll, we'll debate if I disagree, and uh, I'll obviously reinforce everything I believe in as well. So what's the second best bet in your opinion? Yeah, and by the way, good news for you, because I don't think there'll be much line movement between Monday and Wednesday, and normally that would be the case. But because these, these lines have been out there for so long already, and because preseason ended and injuries and roster cuts, they've already sort of been made, depth charts have already been established, you're not going to see much line movement, at least not between Monday and Wednesday. You might see sharps coming in um, between that time, but, but more likely late later in the week where you might see some some more line movement than we've already seen. The second line I like, this is, this is an interesting one because I'm surprised I even like it, but you sort of have to take all your subjectivity and your biases out, right, if you want to be good at, 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 at winning better. I like the Eagles plus three and a half. I don't really understand that line at Atlanta. I mean, there's a couple things going for Philly that I I think people aren't really realizing. First of all, they're way more healthy this year than they were last year, particularly on the offensive line. Um, I think Miles Sanders, I think the talk of Miles Sanders and and how like you shouldn't draft him and all this, I think it's really misguided in my opinion. I, I don't think anybody on that roster including Kenny Gainwell are threats to Miles Sanders I think he could have a really I think he's a really sneaky fantasy play because the perception right now is that Miles Sanders is sort of lost in this rotating shuffle at running back and and I just don't think that's the case I like him as a sneaky DFS play but I think three and a half is way too many points if this line was two and a half I might hesitate but it wouldn't shock me if the Eagles outright win this game yeah, it's funny that this is the one of the lines you picked because I actually started a new segment, something I didn't do last year at all, and it's called betting on the underdog. And I pick like between four and five games that if I had to pick underdogs to outright win games, which guys I would be betting on. And Eagles are at the top of the list for me 
versus the Falcons. So I kind of spoiled that part of the podcast. It's one of the, the games I pick. But I definitely agree that the Eagles could outright win this game because not only do we have an upgrade in weapons for Jalen Hurts, we've got Devonta Smith now, a healthy Jalen Rager, and a lot of people look at the uh, reception perception by Matt Harmon that shows Jalen Rager being very bad as a route runner, and they're using that as an indictment against him. But to me, if I'm a wide receiver and I'm hurt, I don't care what part, shoulder, ankle, whatever the, the case may be, if I'm hurt, it's going to affect how I run my routes. I'm not going to be confident, all that stuff. He's also being moved to the slot. So I think he could see a huge increase in efficiency in his route running. And he's got another year of experience in the NFL or his first year of experience. So he's got upgrades for Jalen Hurts. And then, and I love Kenny Gainwell too. And then on Atlanta's side of the ball, we've got a whole new coaching staff, Matt Ryan. If you actually chart his efficiency through his career, it looks like a bunch of M's and W's because he goes up and down every time he gets a new offensive coordinator. And with that being the case again and him being in a new offense, his efficiency is going to drop this whole season. He's going to take some time to learn what's going on. And I think that's going to be evident in the first couple weeks especially. So I think there's a lot of factors that are going against the Falcons in this first week. Also losing Julio Jones. Kyle Pitts is a rookie tight end in his first week. That's not going to be great either. So... I agree with you. I like this one a lot. Um, so we can move on. Unless you want to touch on something, we can move over to the third one. Well, I'll, I'll just say this. I mean, you mentioned the, the, the receivers on the outside. I stress Miles Sanders, but we have really good tight ends too. And Absolutely. we have a running quarterback. I mean, even if you don't think Jalen Hurts is a good NFL quarterback, and I'm not sure I think he's a good NFL quarterback when it's all said and done, he's still a running quarterback that's going with weapons that's going to give a, a pretty bad Atlanta defense problems. I mean, it's just that's just a, a reality. If this was a really good defense, it would be a different story in terms of how to analyze Jalen Hurts. But I, I don't really see how the offense sputters too much with, with everything that Jalen has at his disposal, including his legs. Yeah, I agree. I actually, since you brought up Jalen Hurts, so I'm in the middle, kind of in the middle on the Miles Sanders thing. I personally, unless I had him in a dynasty league, in terms of redraft, I have not touched Miles Sanders. I love Miles Sanders as a talent. The thing that scares me is not as much the running back room, although I do think Kenny Gainwell may be used similar to a Naheem Hines, especially since Sirianni's coming from the Colts. But the biggest thing for me is, if you thought about J.K. Dobbins, right, and how, how did we look at J.K. Dobbins with Lamar Jackson, at least a lot of us did, including myself, is that he had a lower ceiling. Even when he was a stud at the back of the season last year, he was getting 14, 15 points. He wasn't getting 25. And it was because Lamar was limiting his upside in terms of touchdown potential and total carry potential. And I think Hertz is going to do the exact same thing to Miles Sanders. So that's something that kind of scares me in the Miles Sanders factor or in the situation over there. So that's probably why I haven't been touching him. But I do agree with you that he's probably going to get more carries and a bigger load than people are expecting with that shuffle. So the only pushback I'll give there, because I agree with you when it comes to the red zone, but Miles Sanders, if, if memory serves, in the 12 games he played last year, I think it was 12, he had three carries of 70 yards or more. So it, it's one of those things where, yeah, the red zone analysis is right, but with with the with the read option, with Jalen Hurts specifically and the weapons on the outside, I think you're going to see Miles Sanders with way more lanes to run through, and that could... I mean, you're, I mean, you're you're really drafting Miles Sanders on the upside play, and same in DFS. So I I understand his floor is pretty low, but I mean that's typically not how I'm playing my redraft leagues. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm kind of fish, and especially DFS. I'm looking for upside week to week, and I think Miles has it. 
Yeah, especially DFS, for sure. All right, so let's move over to the third pick that you've got for us. So the Arizona Cardinals have had a kind of a pretty weak preseason. Okay, so they've just, you know, they, they haven't, I think they got one of their games canceled, right? And so the, the, the two games that they did play, um, Kyler didn't look great. I love Kyler as a fantasy option. I love him in DFS. But I just think the Titans, even though their defense is a, is a little weak, I think the Titans at home minus three is probably the right play. This might kick down to two and a half. It, it opened at one and a half. Yeah, I see it, it at ahead. two and a half. You see it at two and a half. Yeah, because it looks like the money's coming in, at least right now, to move it back down to two and a half. But don't be confused because the Sharps already bet that thing up to three. So obviously, Sharps, I mean, that money, that money for the line to have moved to a point and a half, that, you know, there was some good money that went in on the Titans. So. <laughs> Uh, whether it's two and a half, whether it's three, I just think the Titans are too strong. I think they're going to push the Arizona Cardinals defense around, which is, it's a very bad defense. Titans also have a bad defense, but I think it's going to be ball control for the Titans, and I just don't see how Arizona stops them. I think this is going to be a very interesting game, and I'm super excited to watch it because I definitely, I definitely think the Titans are going to win, but I'm curious to see how the offense looks because are they going to still just try to ride Derrick Henry, or are they going to just say – here are the keys, Ryan Daniel. You've got two all-pro wide receivers, at least A.J. Brown. I actually don't remember if he is an all-pro or not, but he's the talent of an all-pro. And then obviously you have Julio Jones. So he's got two great receivers. I, I just It's hard for me to see the Titans being as run-heavy as they have in the past, which is part of the reason why I actually have Julio, assuming he plays the whole season, Julio and A.J. Brown both as wide receiver ones this year in fantasy. Julio's, I think, exactly 12, so it's close. But I'm excited to see this offense, and I always love and enjoy watching Kyler Murray. And they've also got a nice gadgety Rondell Moore there now. So that's a super fun game to watch just in general because of all the changes. So I like that. I agree with you. I do think the Titans are going to take that one home pretty easily. Um, Kyler, I guess, he always gives you a chance just because of his rushing and stuff. But the Titans are a very, like, very sound organization. They know what they're doing. And so I, I trust in Titans to win that game. So I know you said you've got a couple more, and I don't know how deep you want to get into it. So it's up to you. If you want to go deep into these couple picks that you have left, or if you just want to hit them, we can, because then we're going to move over to DFS. Yeah, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the three I like, and instead of kind of going into them too deep, I'll, I'll just have you tell me what you think. Okay. Um, I like the football team. This is a little biased. Which which one? one? Which one? Yeah, the Washington. <laughs> uh, the one uh, that is, I guess they're they're pick them right now, or they're plus one depending on where you're looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I just think the defense is too good. I think it's going to be just a, a bad first matchup for Justin Herbert and, and that entire offense. So I, I really like how Washington looks this year. I think they're going to win the NFC East. I think they could make some noise in the playoffs, and I think it starts Week One. So that's the one I like there. I like the Panthers minus five. You, you've lost a little bit of value because it opened at three and a half. But part of the reason it's moved from three and a half to five against the Jets is because the Jets have suffered a couple of injuries. So I like Zach Wilson, you know, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore. Um, the running back committee's interesting, not very good. But I just think the Panthers have way too many weapons. I like what the coach has been doing on defense. It's a young defense. It'll get exposed in this game a little bit. But I think the Panthers' weapons are too good. So I, I I don't like taking a, a five-point favorite week one, especially led by Sam Darnold and the Panthers, but I just have a feeling that one could get out of hand. The last one I like, I was debating between two. The Browns uh, plus six and a half against the Chiefs or the Texans plus three against the Jaguars. Really? I think I'm gonna, yeah. In, in, oh, in, in, okay. 
we got to understand something here. There's a reason because I the really I assume was a response to the Texans one, right? Yeah. Right? Uh huh. Oh, I've got, I've I've got a good top a uh, good debate on another one of them, but yeah, let's move forward with the Texans real quick. Well, my question for you is, why do you think that line is only three? Because you just gave us the really right. So I would imagine the public perception is, oh, well, you got Trevor Lawrence, you got some nice fun weapons with Marvin Jones and Lavisca, and let's see if DJ Shark is healthy. James Robinson's still a pretty good running back. That they the Texans they they don't have anything. I mean, Tyrod and a bunch of nobodies. So and and as terrible defense and it just begs the question well are, are they trying to goat you into taking the jags minus three here so you would know better than me sia but i it's tough i think that the jaguars are going to be my survivor pick this week and it's a good time to take them exactly I mean, obviously that's yeah. exactly why um and I, th- I think it's funny i think i actually took the jaguars in the one game that they won last year too but uh, anyways it's so hard for me to see the Texans winning. And I'm one of the highest people. I'm sure you remember. I'm one of the highest people you'll find on Tyrod Taylor. But it's Brandon Cooks. And that's, like you said, a bunch of nobodies. And the defense is horrible. And I'm not somebody who likes to bet too much on rookie quarterbacks. Especially in their first games when we have no idea what the offense is going to look like. What they look like. But I think what we saw... From Trevor Lawrence in the last preseason game versus the Cowboys, which also don't have a defense, I think we might see similar vibes in this Texans game where he's just able to do what he wants because the Texans are not going to get to him quickly. Now, the Jaguars need a lot of improvement on the offensive line, but I don't think the Texans are going to get there right away, and he's got the legs to be able to move out the pocket if he needs to. He's got LaVisca, who can stay close to the line of scrimmage and do so much damage after the catch. And their defense is not really any worse than the Texans. I just think they're, it comes down to offensive firepower in, in my eyes. So maybe it's a little too much faith in Trevor. I'm not really sure, but I, I feel like this one, I'm definitely on the Jaguar side of it. So I'm assuming you're on the Texans side. So how about you? Yeah, well, I mean, if we're going down narrative street a little bit, I'll tell you this. If you're the Houston Texans and you know you're going to lose basically almost every game, if not every game, you are so thankful that your week one matchup is against a rookie quarterback with a bad offensive line and some injury issues on the outside, you know, in a bad defense. So it's just one of those things where I think the Texans are walking into this game thinking, okay, we can change the vibe a little bit here. We can take down Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence because we actually match up against this team pretty well, at least relative to all the other teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things where, where I think Houston is actually going to be ready for this game specifically. And I'm not really sure Trevor Lawrence is ready right now, especially behind a bad offensive line. I think he's going to see some things from the defense. I think they're going to take some shots with some blitz packages and really kind of mixing things up. And maybe Trevor takes advantage of those and, you know, hits some guys deep and, and they, just, they just go up big early. But I got a feeling it's going the other way there. And so I don't mind your survivor pick because strategically it makes sense. You're never going to be able to take the Jaguars again. This is the game to take them. Uh, well, other than the next game they play against the Texans, of course. That's yeah. a consideration as well because that one will be actually in Jacksonville. So that's something to consider. True. But uh, again, it's it's three points. It's going to be a low it's going to be a low scoring game. I mean, I think both teams are going to be relatively close to the best. I just I just think three points is too much here. So let me ask you this then. If you can see the Texans winning, and that's kind of where you're leaning, or at least to cover, do you think it's possible for them to do so and it also hit the over? 
Uh, no, I don't. Okay, I, I think, okay, I got yeah, you. I think it's big time ball control. I think the under comes in this game. By the way, regardless of who wins. Um, because I just don't think Urban Meyer is going to get too tricky with Trevor Lawrence. I think it's going to be the James Robinson show, some gimmicky stuff with LaVisca Chenault. But I don't really think they're going to be throwing it down the field too much. And I don't think these defenses are going to be super opportunistic and create short fields for their offense. So I, I, I envision this game being something in like the 20 to 13 realm, 20 to 16, 20 to 10, something like yeah. that. I, if I had to pick a, a score, and this was right before you started saying numbers, I was kind of leaning to 21-17. So mm-hmm. I'm with you on that route, uh, except in favor of the Jaguars. So mm-hmm. just so people know, the over-under right now is 44 and a half because neither of us mentioned it. And then, so that was your, your last quick one, right, that you wanted to mention. Yeah. So the other one I had pushback on was, oh man, I'm trying to find it. Is it Washington? No, it was the other one. What was the other one? Oh, Jets-Panthers. Okay, yeah. so it's it's funny to me because... Like you said, it was at three and a half. And so on the podcast that's coming out on Wednesday, I had that game as one of the ones I was talking about at three and a half. And now it's even better because I liked it for the Jets side. And the biggest reason, I absolutely agree with you. The Panthers have so many weapons. The biggest reason to me is just Sam Darnold. Like, I'm not even as excited about Zach Wilson as everybody else is. Like, everyone wants to crown him you know, oh, he's going to be like a, a Mahomes or, you know, people that just <laughs> like to like to buy in a lot. And it does help them that Tony Romo, who seems to speak everything into existence, said it himself. <laughs> That's true, by the way. Yeah. And for the record, Zach Wilson reminds me a lot of Tony Romo and Brett Favre. Those are the kind of the gunslinger, you know, create, create opportunities, get out of the pocket, that type of thing. So I get it. Yeah. So him saying that also helps. But for me, it's do I want to bet on Sam Darnold, and now it's an even bigger line to win five and a half versus old team, and that could go either ways, or either either way, because some people might say, you know, he, he's going to try and shred them, you know, he's going to go crazy. But also, it could be the opposite, where just speaking, thinking back to my sports days, he might be super nervous, and if he's super nervous, it could look really bad too. So I, I know we try not to do the narrative thing too much, right? But I could easily see the Jets winning this game. I mean, I think they've got some decent enough to get it done. Weapons, assuming Elijah Moore is good to go, and they've got Corey Davis, and Zach Wilson maybe can pull off some magic, and their defense is, you know, not great, but for Sam Darnold, it might be just enough. So, yeah, yeah go ahead. Let me, let me ask you this, because I'm fine with your argument that this Sam, and as far as the narrative, like, honestly, I think it's such a sense of relief for Sam Donald that he's out of New York. I don't think he's going to be happy necessarily. I don't think he's going to want to shred them. I just think he's looking at his weapons being like, oh, this is different. Like, this is, yeah, I feel way sure. more comfortable here than I, than I did in New York. But let me ask you this, because I think it's important as it relates to Sam Donald. What if C.J. Beathard was starting for the Panthers and the line was minus five? And you had all these weapons, or or Nick Mullins, or you name the backup. I would still, I would still take the Jets. You would, still, and I understand that. But I'm just saying, me as the guy on Carolina side, I don't know, and I know it's a quarterback-driven league, but unless it's some like crazy gunslinger that's always turning it over, I think in this type of offense, and I'm not saying they're world beaters, but. You have Christian McCaffrey, Terrace Marshall, DJ Moore, and Robbie Anderson. You don't need to do that much. I mean, we're talking short area targets potentially the whole game, handing it off to CMC, and just letting the Jets' defense sort of wilt over four quarters. So I see where you're coming from, A, regarding Sam Donald, and B, 
three and a half and five, it's a big number. Like these are big numbers in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So you can't just say, oh, five, it's no big deal. They're definitely going to cover that. That's not how the NFL works. But I just don't see the, the pushback on the Jets side yet. I, I mean, we didn't see Elijah Moore much in the preseason. We know Corey Davis is, is probably going to catch some balls. Jameson Crowder doesn't look like he's going to play. And, and you got Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman and Michael Carter. Like nothing on that side of the ball makes me think, oh, okay, they're going to be able to move the ball consistently. Whereas an average Sam Darnold, or in my example, an average C.J. Beathard, could probably move this type of offense. I don't know why I use C.J. Beathard as an example. I was just trying to <laughs> think of the most pedestrian NFL yeah. quarterback of all time, and, and that's sort of what, what I came up with. But that's sort of my pushback, but I get it. Listen, this is a these are two kind of relatively bad teams, and it's a five-point spread. I, I totally get where you're coming from. So you know what? You actually said something, and I think you kind of won me over here, Sia. You, when you said they can win the game just by giving the ball to Christian McCaffrey and working the short area of the field. If that is their game plan, that would hopefully that is what their game plan is. Well, not as a Bucks fan, I say that, but just in terms of <laughs> hoping the best for you know their situation. Hopefully that's their game plan because that would work wonders. And I think you just won me over, actually, which is good because I feel like on a lot of And people tell me this all the time on a lot of podcasts, like somebody's always right because nobody ever agrees. And it's like, kind of (laughs) like, is this on purpose? So everything I always say is completely genuine. I never script anything. You know that you don't script stuff either. So I think you actually won me over on this one. So if there was somebody that was like, oh man, of course they can't agree. Now I don't know where to go. I'm actually going to flip over to your side. See on this one. All right. All right. I'm glad I won you. I I hope we're right. Or I hope I'm right. And that you are ultimately right because Last thing I want to do is get somebody off of a bet that ends up being a winner, but it is the Jets after all. So I feel pretty comfortable with this one. Yeah, and move it moving to five and a half definitely makes a huge difference from three and a half. Yeah, five. It's five right now, but it might it might move to five and a half. Oh, that's yeah. See, I see it at five and a half. Oh, fair enough. Because what I see is minus five, but it's minus one fifteen, which means it's starting to even move up to five and a half. So again, it depends on where you shop. You can probably catch it at five once you hear this podcast come out. But yeah, it might take up to five and a half everywhere. Yeah. All right. So that's going to conclude our best bets. And now we're going to get into some of your favorite DFS plays. So I kind of wanted to divide it up. Let's talk about your expensive guys first, because, you know, it's not realistic to not grab somebody that's expensive. You want to get some of those guys right. And then your middling guys and then your like late flyers, the super cheap guys that you think could go off. So we'll start with the top, the top end guys. Yeah, we'll talk We'll talk about some high-end guys first. And, and the cool thing is, because it's week one, and because there's so many low-priced guys that, are, that just end up being starters, like, you can definitely play a lot more high-end guys this week than you will be, like, let's say, week three, week four, week ten. Because, again, you have a lot of inefficiencies here. You'll see what I'm talking about when we get to the low-end guys. But high-end guys, we, we talked about it. A game, the game you want to watch more than anything, and probably me as well, other than my Washington football team against the Chargers, it's Arizona and Tennessee. I mean, that game could really shoot out. We have two poor defenses. We have a very efficient offense in, in Tennessee. We have really good weapons in Arizona. It's a 52-point total. I love Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. A big watch out there is, A, they're expensive, and, B, a lot of people are going to like that at DFS Week 1. It's going. This is going to be either the most popular game to play in terms of stacking players and correlating lineups, or it's going to be somewhere in the top three. I have a feeling it's going to be the most popular because you can be on both sides of the ball and feel pretty comfortable. But I like Kyler, I like DeAndre Hopkins, and you typically want to correlate your lineup, which means, for those of you listening that aren't familiar with DFS, it means bringing it back with somebody on the other side of the ball so you're getting the benefit 
of points on both sides of the ball. So you could bring it back with Derrick Henry, but now you're getting into an extremely expensive range here. So you may want to bring it back, especially in a high-scoring affair with like an A.J. Brown or Julio Jones. So I I don't know. I mean, Julio is a few hundred less than A.J. Brown. You could go that route. But if you did a Kyler, DeAndre, A.J. Brown stack, it's going to be really expensive. But believe me, in week one, there's there's players you can you can make that lineup work. Mm-hmm. All right. So other, I like it. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say I, I like it. I do think it's going to be a high-scoring game. So I completely agree with you. Yeah. And then let's see. I'll give you four other names in the high. Well, I'll, I'll give you five. Because I think, again, Christian McCaffrey is sort of an obvious play. He's going to be the most expensive guy. He's always worth to, it. Pretty much yeah, always. He's always going, unless he's injured, he's always going to be the most expensive guy this entire year because he catches a ton of passes, as everybody knows, and, and he, he runs the ball really well as well. So he's 9,500. You won't be able to put him in a stack with like Kyler or Hopkins, or if you do, you'll be, you'll be, your hands will be tied. But it's, it's probably the right time to play him against the Jets. I mean, he's definitely, you know, ready to make an impact after being out almost all of last year. So that's a high end guy to consider. A couple other guys, DK Metcalf and Lockett, I think are, I think DK Metcalf's going to have a really nice cornerback matchup. Lockett's going to have a nice matchup. I think Russell Wilson's going to throw the ball a lot more. Um, Indianapolis's defense is pretty good, but I don't think they'll be able to handle these two receivers. So I think Metcalf at 7,500 on DraftKings, Lockett at 6,700. I think you could play either of those guys. Um, a few other guys, Nick Chubb at 7,200. If you believe that the game script in this game is going to be ball control for the Cleveland Browns. And it's part of the reason I mentioned the Browns as, as, as covering the six and a half when I kind of just threw that out there at the end. Mm-hmm. I think they can win this game. I don't think it's likely. I think they can win this game. And if they do, it's because they control the line of scrimmage, which they absolutely can do against the Chiefs. And it's because Nick Chubb just dominates the line of scrimmage and piles up the yards and the touchdowns. If he actually succeeds at 7,200 on DraftKings, you have like it's almost like a double win because all the people who have stacked this game with like Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, well, let's just assume if Nick Chubb has a big game, well, maybe they don't have the ball as much, maybe they don't score as much, and now you've basically taken all the value out of that game with Nick Chubb exclusively, while the the value of Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and some of these other guys, Travis Kelsey, maybe are less than what what other people think. Mm-hmm. You got, you just made me think of something too when you're talking about the Browns. Um, and this could go back to a line if somebody wants to think about this and, and they agree with this possibility, um, the Browns possibly winning the game. Every time, for it seems like to me, every time a team has lost the Super Bowl for the last five or six years, that following season, <clears throat> excuse me, that following season is so bad for them. Like, think about when the Rams lost to the Patriots. Next year, so much worse than what they had done the previous years. Same thing with the Falcons. Same thing with, I'm just trying to think of all the people that just were in the Super Bowl. Um, the 49ers. The 49ers, yeah. You you could chalk that one up a little bit to injury. But it just seems like sure. every time somebody loses in the Super Bowl, something, if it's mental, if it's, I don't know what it is, do you think that the Chiefs are going to be immune to this? Or do you think it's a possibility that the Chiefs aren't the number one seed in the AFC and that maybe... They're not somebody that everyone's all of a sudden after we get to the midpoint of the season saying they're a lock to to get to the championship round in, in the AFC. Well, you said it because we have this perception that this is like a dynasty in the making. And we always think that with a team that has won a Super Bowl and it got to the Super Bowl the next time we think about it across all sports, whether it's the Golden State Warriors or, or you name it, things change Teams get better, and these th- these teams that you think are dynasties, 
they're not what you think they are. They're very good teams that are susceptible to, to, to getting beat. I mean, this is the same team that lost to the Browns, or I should say beat the Browns in, in the playoffs last year, 22 to 17. I mean, yeah, Mahomes was a little dinged in that game, but the Browns had a lot of opportunities to actually win that game. Are the Bills better than the Chiefs? I don't know, maybe. But my point is, there's some weaknesses with the Chiefs that people just aren't acknowledging because they're like, well, they got Mahomes, they got Tyreek Hill, and they got Travis Kelsey. Who can cover that? Well, that's true, but the you know, Bucks do, they can. Have a dominant de- ah. do they have a dominant defense? No. I mean, if they don't have Chris Jones, this is a very below average defense, in my opinion, and their offensive line is improved this year. But I just, and I don't know that the weapons on the outside beyond Kelsey and uh, Tyreek Hill are really that good, yeah. frankly. And to touch on the offensive line, going once again back to this week one matchup, it may be slightly improved over the course of time, but in regards to week one, offensive line, in my opinion, is one of the most important positions to have chemistry. And they've got a lot of moving pieces, a lot of new guys there. So it's possible the offensive line looks atrocious in the first couple weeks of the season. So that's also another reason why you might say, hey, maybe we should lean Cleveland on, on whatever the line is when you're betting it. But yeah, so to get back to, to DFS. So you were talking about Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf as well. That, that game scares me. I don't know why. There's something weird about that game. Not for those players. Just that game in general. Like I wouldn't be surprised if the Colts win or if Seattle wins. I wouldn't be surprised if it's low scoring or high scoring. It's like just, I don't know, I get like a weird vibe from that game. I, I don't really have a take based off that. I just wanted to throw that out there because I don't really I, talk about them too much. I actually agree with you. And, and I think what's scaring you is you don't really know how they're going to handle Carson Wentz and whether they're just going to try to you know limit his attempts and just try to do the Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines thing and just try to win the game like that. And I think you're right to have that as a concern, which is why this is not a game I'm stacking. It's a game I'm just pulling some shares out of. And what I mean by that is I'm not going to play Russell Wilson necessarily with DK Metcalf or Lockett and bring it back with like Michael Pittman or Paris Campbell. But what I might do is I might pull DK Metcalf out. I might pull Paris Campbell out and just play those two guys. And, and, And what that means, what I'm really telling you is, well, the under could come in. There could be 40 points scored, but those guys could still go off, especially when you mm-hmm. think of like Pittman and Paris Campbell. Pittman's 4,100 in DraftKings, Paris Campbell's 3,700. These guys are dirt cheap, and they're the, the kind of players that can make your lineup really work if you go super high-end, let's say, with that Arizona-Tennessee game. Yeah, Michael Pittman, that, that surprises me. I didn't even notice that, that he's that cheap. I feel like he's also just been super cheap in drafts in general for sure, totally. season long. He, I mean, I've been grabbing him everywhere, and... A lot of people know me as somebody that was not very high on Michael Pittman. And I still really am not in terms of talent. Like, I'm not super high on him. But the opportunity for potential volume is just ridiculous. And he did look a lot fast, faster and, like, bouncier or springier than I would have ever thought based off what I saw in college. He showed up to the combine way in better shape. Maybe he worked on it or whatever the case may be. But he's been somebody that has proven me wrong, and I've kind of started to like grabbing shares of him because for some reason, he's super cheap. People forget about him. I don't know if it's because for a while we didn't know what Carson's status was, and maybe because the Colts aren't really a flashy team. Not sure exactly what it is, but T.Y. Hilton, do you think he's dropping off? I think he's going to drop off this season. He's at the age. He's at the 32, the danger danger Mm -hmm. age. So if oh, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you there. I mean, he's already injured, and I don't think he would have been that effective in the first place. Exactly. So, I mean, Michael Pittman is like pretty much the, the only for sure bet in that offense to see a lot of volume, other than Jonathan Taylor, obviously. And, and keep in mind, this is a little narrative building, but 
Mike, they didn't do anything in, in the draft really to improve this receipt or in free agency. It's not like they went out and grabbed Kenny Galladay and paid him $80 million like the Giants did. They clearly have faith in this guy who, by the way, they drafted 34th overall last year. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one of those things where they've made the investment in him. They haven't rebuffed the investment by adding other receive other high-end receivers to the receiver room. So to me, they're, they're kind of all in on this young core of, of Pittman and Paris Campbell. Yeah. All right, so let's move over to some middle-tier some middle tier DFS guys you got for us. So we already discussed Miles Sanders. I think he's a guy that's going to go, I don't want to say ignored, but I think he's going to go relatively ignored at 6,500 on DraftKings. I think people like that Atlanta-Philly game, and I think they're going to want to play Jalen Hurts because he's a running quarterback and he can pile up the points. They might try to pull Devontae Smith, and they might bring it back with, let's say, a, a Kyle Pitts or a Calvin Ridley. I understand those builds. I'm not going to be doing that. I'm going to be just grabbing a share or two out of this game, and it's probably just going to be Miles Sanders at 6,500 because I think he's going to be, at least with respect to, to that game, I think he's going to be relatively contrarian because I think people are going to look for fireworks in that game. And I'm all about Miles Sanders there. So at 6,500, I think he's a really good sort of contrarian value. Another guy we kind of talked about at 6,400 on DraftKings is James Robinson at Houston. I like that he's one really- a lot. Yeah, and he's not a sexy name, right? So I don't know how popular he's going to be, other than the fact that he's playing, I guess, the worst defense in the league. But, you know, you know, Brandon, he not only gets the volume, I mean, he's not exactly, like, efficient with his runs, but he also gets the volume with with the passing attempts as well. So, I mean, he, he, he gets it both ways. And, again, we have a rookie quarterback with a shaky offensive line. They're really going to be leaning, I think, on the easy stuff, which just spells James Robinson, in my opinion. I'll give you two more guys in the mid-tier range. They happen to also be running backs. Raheem Mostert at 5,800 against the Lions, I absolutely love. Yes, I've been singing his praises for quite some time now. I think pretty much every CBS Fantasy Football Today DFS show, I find a way to bring him up because, especially in the DFS market, I think Mostert is really, really undervalued. We know he can fly. We know San Francisco's really good. We know they're going to have a big lead and probably lean on him in the third and fourth quarter specifically once that Detroit Lions defense is even more wore down. So I like Mostert a lot, and I'll give you one more before, uh, Brent, I don't know if you want to respond to any of these guys, but Mike Davis at 5,400, a guy that's also kind of going ignored, but is also a nice pass catcher. I think he's a sneaky guy to just pull from, again, from that Atlanta game just as a one-off. Instead of sort of stacking that game, you pull Mike Davis or you pull Miles Sanders. This is a guy that's a clear number one and that can catch passes. So when DraftKings are getting one point per reception, I think he could surprise some people. And at 5,400, listen, in year long, I understand maybe you don't want to play Mike Davis because you don't think he can hold up at his age and with the tread on the tires. But in week one against the Eagles, I think Mike Davis is a value. Yeah, so I guess I only really have two players to comment on. One, I'm absolutely endorsing with you. It's James Robinson. Not only is this going to be a game where he is probably leaned on heavily because it is the first game for a rookie quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, but also this is going to be one of his most efficient games most likely because the Houston Texans defense is really bad, and it's probably going to lead that combination of among the most volume he's going to see in any game this season and the high efficiency is probably going to lead him to possibly his highest scoring fantasy game of the season. It, I really believe that that yeah. may be what happens. So James Robinson, I love. And then I'm going to push you back a little bit on Mike Davis. Mm-hmm. I have never been of the mindset, and there's a lot of people that share this mindset with me, that Mike Davis is going to be a bell cow for the Falcons. And they just signed Wayne Gallman. I don't really think Wayne Gallman is any worse than Mike Davis. In fact, 
a lot of the efficiency metrics, things that go beyond yards per carry and stuff like that, like uh, rushing yards over expected, how often you like forced tackles missed and all that stuff is actually really in favor of Wayne Gallman and showed him to be a pretty good runner in lieu of Saquon Barkley last year. So I think Wayne Gallman, maybe it doesn't happen right away. And maybe that's what ends up helping you out here with Mike Davis as a call for week one. But I, I don't think he's going to get a lot of touches. And I'm probably thinking like 14-ish range. But it's not going to be crazy in the PPR range, in my opinion. And the Eagles have a good run defense. If there's anything about their defense that is good, it's the run defense in that defensive line. So I think Matt Ryan may be leaned upon a little bit more than he will the rest of the season because we do know that Arthur Smith came from Tennessee and likes to run the ball a lot. So once again, something that could go in favor of Mike Davis, but just the matchup, the defensive line, and the fact that I don't think he's going to get anything near what Derrick Henry got as the lead running back for Arthur Smith's offense in the past kind of makes me weary of that pick. Oh, I totally agree with the long-term outlook. I mean, a lot of this is, is the PPR component. I do think he has some touchdown equity, especially over Wayne Goldman. So I think in that short area within the 5-10 yard line, I think he has a shot to score. And, and the, like, the, the biggest thing is he had 70 targets last year, caught 59 of them. I think... I think Matt Ryan might lean on him a little bit more, especially, you know, week one, week two, rather than like a Kyle Pitts, for example. So that's just that's just the share I want to grab because I think a lot of people will be on Kyle Pitts and I want to be a little contrarian and take uh, what I think is value with Mike Davis. But I hear your argument 100%. So let me just touch, let's touch on this like receiving aspect for Mike Davis real quick. So if Arthur Smith is, do you, first off, do you think he's going to run anything similar to what he did in Tennessee because in Tennessee they were one of the teams with the least amount of targets to the running back position now maybe you might say oh it's because Derrick Henry is a tank and he's not really much of a receiver but they still had other guys they could have possibly used do you think it's because of the weapons they had or do you think it's really Arthur Smith maybe it was Ryan Tannehill so what do you think was possibly a cost for that if you do believe that Mike Davis does have some good receiving upside yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a product of, of who you have in-house. So, I mean, to your point, I, I don't think Derrick Henry was ever really thought of as a receiving weapon, and I think Mike Davis is. And, and I think they're going to try to find ways to get clever with Mike Davis because, to your point, I don't know that they think of him as, as a great pure runner. No, nobody does, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, you, you know, when you when you walk into that stadium, if you will, and you see, okay, I, I, got, I finally got a pass-catching running back, I don't think you ignore it, even if your history uh, dictates that that's not something you focused on. Yeah, I, I definitely see that side as well. All right, so let's get to, I know we already talked about Michael Pittman. Let's get to some other cheap cheap guys that you like a lot. You mentioned Paris Campbell as well. Yeah, exactly. And those two were on my list. I have five other guys. I met, uh, one of them I mentioned, Corey Davis at 4,900, I think is pretty smart, especially if you think the Jets are going to be trailing in this game. Corey Davis has kind of proven himself to be a, a target monster, at least in the preseason. And honestly, again, Elijah Moore really hasn't been around, and we know Crowder really isn't there. They don't really have a tight end that they can lean on, as far as I as far as I can recall. So I think uh, Corey Davis is one of those like you could do a contrarian stack with this game and pair Sam Darnold with the receiver of your choice, or with Christian McCaffrey, which is a kind of a unique build to do a quarterback with a running back, but it sometimes works. And you bring it back with Corey Davis. I mean, you could absolutely smash with something like that, even though the total in that game is less than 45 points. So uh, Corey Davis, and I'll give you, let's see, three more. I think you're going to like these. 
Well, Marcus Callaway is an obvious one because yeah. he's 3,400. So yeah. I think he's going to be really popular. So if you're in a big GPP contest that has like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, maybe you want to stay away from him and pivot to the next guy I'm going to tell you about, which is Gabriel Davis. And I'd love to get I your love Gabriel him. Davis. Okay, good. Because I love Gabriel Davis too. And he's 3,400. And I think people look at that receiver room and they're like, okay, we got Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders. I don't think Sanders is going to have much of an impact. I don't know the impact Cole Beasley is going to have, but I do know that Gabriel Davis is going to continue to emerge as a receiver in this very high-powered offense. So at 3,400, this is a guy against Pittsburgh. Listen, they're going to focus all their attention on Diggs. That doesn't mean Diggs isn't going to have a good game, but it does mean Gabriel Davis is going to have some chances to really get free and score. And I think he's the type of guy that can sort of break a slate for you. The last guy I'll mention, um, I know you're big on Bengals receivers, and particularly Boyd, but T. Higgins in DraftKings is 4,700 against Minnesota. Jamar Chase, we don't know if he's really up to speed yet. We know Boyd is going to get targets. We know T. Higgins is going to get targets. And and T. Higgins had a great year last year. It kind of got a little unrecognized. So I I like him quite a bit. And the last guy I'll mention, he's at running back, and it's in that um, Arizona-Tennessee game. And it's Chase Edmonds, who's only 4,600. Another pass catcher that could absolutely get loose in a 52-point game. You are going to love this because almost every single name you just said is in my start and DFS play section on Wednesday's podcast episode. I love it. So I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely on board with you on those. And I feel like I've been holding you a little bit, definitely later than what I said this podcast was going to go. Uh, well, that's because I talk too much. No, I like it though. And the people are... You can't limit me to 20 minutes. I, I talk for at least... <laughs> you know, 40 when, when you, you get me going. Yeah, well, hey, if you if you got the time, then I'm completely down for it. I, just, I don't want to hold you too long. Um, but I definitely appreciate you coming on. And I got a, a few questions for you just to wrap up the podcast. One, if you have to make a survivor pick, who are you, who are you taking? And then also, what is the one position, if you have to pick one, that you are least likely on any given week to put a lot of money into when it comes to DFS. For me, knowing myself, it's either quarterback or receiver. Now, sometimes there's there's weeks where I can't bring myself to pick a quarterback that's like on the down low because sometimes it just it doesn't match up that way. So usually I try to make a quarterback for myself. But wide receiver is the other position I go to a lot because of all the guys you just talked about. I mean, you mentioned I think it was only one running back and the rest were receivers, and that's just how it is. Receivers, anyone can catch a touchdown. You know, it's just a random target. So I, I absolutely go quarterback receiver, but I'm curious how you look at it, and you've probably got some insight that I cannot provide in terms of that. So I'll start with the, the pick. I think my survivor pick, you know, kind of like eyeballing it right now, would probably be the Panthers. I think this is probably the time to take them. I don't know how confident – I think the Panthers are a good team, but I don't know how confident – you're going to be playing them later on in the season. I think getting them, sort of checking that box and getting them out of the way early makes a lot of sense. Uh, Some of the other kind of like bad teams that are playing, they're playing other sort of bad teams and they can lose like Minnesota, the Minnesota Vikings, for example. I guess I expect them to beat the Bengals, but that one's just too close to call. So I I think I would go. I think so too. Yeah, I think I would go with the Panthers there. As far as the position I like to pay down, well, I'll give you two answers because the one is going to sound like a cop-out. Defense. I don't I don't want to say you should never pay up for defense, but there is always a justification for, let's say in DraftKings, for between 2,000 and 2,500, there's usually a justification you can make by picking a low-end defense because we know how like variance works, especially with defense and turnovers and things of that nature. Like For example, 
in this Texans Jacksonville game. Like I, I, I'm not looking at the prices right now, but both those defenses are going defenses are going to be relatively low, and I think the Texans is like the bottom of the basement price, like 2100 The only reason you would take them, of course, is to create money in other places where you want to spend. But can the Texans potentially get to Trevor Lawrence and make him and force him into a turnover or a couple sacks? Yeah, absolutely. And then you've sort of paid off the, the price tag for the Texans. So mm-hmm. pay down for defense when you can. And, and I usually, in my experience, I've paid down for defense, like way down, probably 70 to 80% of the time as the season goes. The other position, I agree with you, is receiver. Um, pay up for running backs. Try to pay up for at least one, you know, elite receiver that you know is going to get the targets. Um, but you can definitely punt on receiver and just try to like notice trends or something like that, like like a Gabriel Davis, for example, mm-hmm. or, or a Callaway, who, who the market or the DraftKings pricing hasn't yet caught up with. Because sometimes it'll take them a few weeks to really price a, a low end player properly. So receiver and defense for sure. Yeah, and I'll just throw in that the the position I always spend the most money on is tight end, usually. Because I just, and, yeah, it's, I don't like right playing that, that game of like, oh, is he going to, is this tight end going to catch a touchdown this week? I, I want the guys who are going to get possibly two touchdowns and 100 yards. So that's why I always pay you, up on tight end. You're right to do that. And, and it's funny because I've, I've sort of had to learn that the hard way over the years because I've been the guy that I want to be the smartest person in the room and, and, and pick out like the, the total punt option that's, you know, 3,100. But the reality is the gap from a consistent volume standpoint between your Travis Kelsey's, your Darren Wallace's, your George Kittles, maybe this year your TJ Hawkinson's, the gap between those guys and, and the punt plays, it's just not worth the risk. So mm-hmm. you're right to pay up for those guys and, and just try to find, create opportunities with pricing elsewhere. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Sia. Remember, you guys can find him on Twitter, at Sia Najad. That's S-I-A-N-E-J-A-D. And um, if there's anything you want to you wanna say or a piece of advice to leave them with or something I haven't said, go for it. And then we'll uh, head out. Uh, my only piece of advice is to make sure you are following Brandon's podcast because it's excellent. And if you don't follow him on Twitter already, you probably do because you're listening to this, but Brandon, you're one of the best in the industry by far. And not that I'm like the guy who makes that decision. Right? <laughs> not like I'm some big shot who like knows who all the good guys are, but, but, uh, and you're also like a super, super nice guy and a super genuine guy. I so I always appreciate you inviting me on your podcast. And uh, I can't wait to listen to this one, but Wednesday's uh, podcast as well. All right. Awesome. Thank you, man. I appreciate the kind words. I love having you on as well. Very fun, well-spoken, well-researched. Also, very nice guy. So guys, check out Sia. Check out all the stuff he's doing at CBS Win Daily. And you're still at SiriusXM too, aren't you? Yep, Saturday nights at 11 o'clock will be your closers. So yep. tune in to SXM Fantasy Sports Radio. That's channel 87, 11 to 1 Saturday night. This is when you're probably making your lineups or trying to tinker with them or finish them up. You can call into the show. You can tweet at us. We always put tweets out while the show is going on. So at, if you don't follow, like definitely follow me, but also follow at Win Daily Sports. And uh, you can follow us on SiriusXM as well. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys, to another episode of Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Tell your friends. Help spread the word. Drop a rating, drop a review if you haven't already. Have a good one. Good luck in week one. Peace.